0: Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. Amen and amen. Well, are you glad to be here this morning? Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm glad you're here. And then tell them, you look Marvelous. And if you understood what I just said, you are old, right? How many of y'all knew exactly what I just said? You look marvelous. The the, the other people, they just missed it totally. Billy Crystal, right? Open your Bibles, if you will, to Acts, Acts chapter 17. I want to ask you a question. Do you know what's in this bag? Mm, 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 mm. In, yeah, death is in this bag, preservatives are in this bag. Mr. Boyette, please do not judge me. (laughs) I have in this bag a Big Mac. Now, let me tell you about, oh, just say, oh, I can smell it. This is two days old, but man, oh, man, oh, man. What I wouldn't give right now to just grab it. If, if If I had a place to wash my hands right now, I would do it. But you see, I'm a germ freak. You have wives? No, it, you, you don't want to see that. But uh, when I was in college, I, I developed a special affinity towards Big Macs. I know it's strange. I don't get these very often at all. But every now and then, they call my name, okay? Every now and then, my car just is like pulling to the right, and I just have to slide in and grab one, and let me tell you why, because when I was in college back in 1991, I was a freshman in college, and I walked through the commons, and I saw one night in the commons on the table a stack of coupons for free Big Macs. Now I admit that it probably wasn't the kindest, most generous thing for me to do, but I took every single one. (laughs) I had like 50 coupons for a free, no-purchase-required Big Mac, only they had an expiration date of like two months down the road, and I felt it was my duty. If somebody went through the effort of printing them, I felt it was my duty to eat every one of them. In the next couple of months, I would go to to a McDonald's a couple times a week, late at night usually. Usually it was midnight, one o'clock. I'm always a night owl. And so I would drive there and I'd walk in and I would give them a coupon and I'd give them another coupon and I'd get like three of them at a time and I would just sit down and I would enjoy them. Now again, I don't recommend that. But at the time, I was much skinnier and much healthier. At least I pretend I was. Um, And so I started loving the Big Macs. And um, to be honest with you, I actually, this is the second one. Because the first one I bought I was driving down the road, and it wasn't like three minutes before I'm like, oh no, I'm not leaving. I, I reached over, I'm on Garson Point Bridge, <laughs> trying to eat a Big Mac. Of course, everything's dripping all over, so I had to get me a second illustration. See, y'all thought I was joking about that. I did eat my sermon illustration, so, and I will eat this one later. But the thing about a Big Mac is this. Um, here, here, here's what it is. Actually, it doesn't look so good after two days, to be honest with you. (laughs) Smells good, though. So it is a sesame seed bun, which is just no big deal. I mean, it's just a bun, right? Yeah, it's got two all all beef patties, right? It's got lettuce, and it's got cheese, and it's got pickles and onions. But you know what that is? That's just a burger. That's a two-patty cheeseburger, But if you put the special sauce on it, it becomes a Big Mac. You know what I'm talking about? A Big Mac is only a Big Mac because of the special sauce, which turns out it's not so special. It's Thousand Island dressing. But none of us at home make a burger and we put Thousand Island on it, right? We don't do that. No, we understand that the special sauce is what makes this a 4th of July inside of your mouth right? I got to tell you though, that is exactly how God created you. He created you with everything that you need to live and look like everybody else. You have, uh, you know, different facial features. You have nose, eyes, mouth, hair, legs, feet. You know, you have personality. You have all these other things, but God made you each of you with a special sauce. And if you don't find your special sauce, you can still have a decent life. This is not like a, if you don't find your special sauce, you're going to have a horrible, miserable, terrible, no good life. No, you can still have a good life and you can still be fruitful for the kingdom of God. You can still have a family and all these other things. But if you find your special sauce... If you find your place in God's kingdom, it makes everything better. Let me illustrate it like this. I never bought, and I never have bought, custom-tailored clothes. Obviously, go ahead, laugh. I never I never went to the store and spent the money and the time to find clothes that fit my body. Now, I'm a little bit taller than perhaps most people. I'm six foot three, and I have, I have a different kind of physique, you know, um, and I've always been that way. When I was in college, I was 150 pounds at six foot three, so we're, we're just, people used to say if, if I, they had to look twice to see me once, right? If, if I turned sideways and stuck out my tongue, I looked like a hoe, right? I mean, just, it was, it was bad, right? I don't know where that came from, but thank you. Thank you for laughing. I dug deep on. But but, but here's, here's what I've discovered. I've discovered that you don't have to spend a bunch of money to actually find clothes, that, to actually get clothes that fit, because you can tailor them. And so I fulfilled a lifelong dream. I am 47 years old, and yesterday evening about midnight, well, about 11 o'clock, I was at the kitchen table experimenting with this lifelong dream of... Tailoring my own clothes. I'm not joking. Last week I found a sewing machine. I got on YouTube and I followed the guy's instructions very carefully, and it only took about an hour to actually figure it out because that thing's hard to fill, right? And then I and I learned to sew. And so what I realized is that with a with the right tools, with the right motivation. With the right perspective and understanding, I can actually take clothes that fit and cover me and make them into clothes that really fit and don't just cover, don't just fulfill a function, but actually make me feel good about what I'm wearing. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to oversell this. I'm actually trying to make a point. Most of us probably go to the store, we buy clothes, we put them on, and we're like, okay, that works. Most of us probably don't go and buy something that's tailored for us. Why? Because it's expensive, it's time-consuming, and, you know, just all of those different obstacles, and even though clothes will fulfill their job if they're ordinary off-the-shelf clothes, tailored clothes look way much better, way much better, right? And it's good for English, too. Do y'all catch what I'm saying, right? y'all catch what I'm saying? So here's what I want to convince you of today through the scripture. And actually, I said that wrong. Here's what I want God to do in your heart. I want God to birth in your heart a real, genuine, true understanding that you are not an accident, that you were made, not just made, but you were built, you were designed. You were, you were um, um, by the hand of God, um, um, grown for a particular purpose, for a particular place in history. And God has something marvelous in store for you. And you can live your life just okay without this, but if you'll take that extra step and you'll find your special sauce, you will find a joy and a satisfaction and a a God-given pleasure in life. That you can't have otherwise. Does that make sense? So let's get on the scripture and let's see. And I'm going to probably have to put this Big Mac. Well, I'm just going to leave it alone. In Acts chapter 17. Actually, let's not start on Acts 17. Let's start in Acts 130. Excuse me, in Psalm 139. I want to start by showing you that the scripture says. That you are not an accident. But that you are. Were created by God. You were designed by God. Now this is the psalmist um, David, and as he's as he's as he's writing this song, he's expressing the character and the nature of God. Psalm 139, 13 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them even came to be. Listen, you were made by God and you were in an accident. Now there are some people who were an accident in the eyes of God. Of, of their parents. Now, we all know that to be true. We've heard stories of people talking about their parents or the parents talking about their kids going, yeah, they were my retirement surprise, right? And, I, and we understand what they're saying. They're, they're simply expressing the fact that they weren't planning on having a kid. But let me tell you, it was no surprise to God. It was no accident to God. There are people that we, I have heard stories of. You probably have too. Who were um, they're they're alive today, even though they essentially were a botched abortion. I met somebody like that at our egg hunt. Wow, and yet God was able to make them and form them in such a way that they have a purpose and a plan. If I'm not mistaken, Tim Tebow was supposed to be. Uh, uh, am I getting this right? The doctors wanted Tim Tebow's mom to eliminate the pregnancy, and his mom said, no, I'm not going to do that. There were some complications of some sort. Look at what we have with Tim Tebow, and imagine what would happen if he would not have existed. But you see, God has formed us. God knows us. God created us. And I want you to look at the words that are used knit me together, woven me together. This is the picture of a person who is intricately designing and putting colors in places that it needs to have colors. And there, there's some sort of a design that is more than just this blob that happened. And so the first thing you and I need to understand is that you were created. And that you were not an accident, but you have a purpose. If you're not an accident, that means you're intentional, right? And if you're intentional, that means that somebody had an intention and it was God who had an intention. So when God created you, he created you in multi- with multiple different, let's call them assets. He created you with a physical body. Your body is the way that it is because God has a purpose for you. Your body eyesight, your eye color, your hair, whether it's curly or straight, then it goes into your personality, not just your physical body, but, but how you think and how you act and how you react. Everybody in here has a personality. Some of you just show it more than others, right? And I mean that seriously. Some of you are introverts. And if, you, if I were to call on you, which I really have to get on to myself because I think everybody loves to be on stage. I mean, <clears throat> Right. But what I have to remember is a lot of people don't want that. A lot of people want to just stay in the corner. They want to stay quiet because that's their personality. But God has given you your personality because he has a purpose for you that your personality is needed to fulfill your purpose. So that's a, that's a shape that he's given you. He's given you a personality. These are human things. He's given you a body, human things. But then he's also inserted supernatural things. Number one, he's given you the Holy Spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have been supernaturally empowered by the Spirit of God. That means that His Spirit lives inside of you and gives you wisdom. He gives you discernment. He gives you power. He gives you the ability to say things that you didn't even know you could say. He gives you the ability to remember things that you didn't even know you put in your head a time ago. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So you have supernatural power. You also have a supernatural giftedness. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians, the Bible tells us in Romans and other places that everyone who follows Jesus has a spiritual giftedness. That is a supernatural ability to do something. Now we're gonna talk about that in depth in a couple, next week or the week after, but for now I just want you to put that in your heart that this is kind of the foundation of what we're gonna be talking about. To find your special sauce is to recognize how you were built how you were made in the flesh, but then also to recognize the supernatural things that God is doing inside of you. And when you put all of those things together, you find, wow, I now have fulfillment and joy because I'm doing what I was created to do. But let's look at the the scripture that I was gonna start with. Acts chapter 17. I basically just gave you the whole outline right there. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is actually preaching in the place called the Areopagus. That's a ruling leaders of the city of Athens. And he's preaching this because as he walked around, he saw an idol that had the inscription to the unknown God. See, the Athenians were very religious people. They they didn't want to miss any gods and so they made an unknown god idol just in case the one that they missed came through the city and said, wait, are, are you not going to worship me? Oh, there you go. You're worshiping me. And when Paul saw that, he actually used his giftedness and he said, I got an idea. I'm going to preach to them about who the unknown god actually is. And then in verse 24, he says this. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. And God did this so that men would search for him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of our own poets have said, we are his offspring. Offspring. So, as Paul is preaching this message, he's really just unfolding the nature and character of God, not only who God is, but also who we are. And he says, This God is not a God who was built or or who lives in anything built by human hands. He's bigger than that. So, God doesn't live where we think He lives. God does not have the same boundaries we have. He is not confined to time and space. Now this is important because what we have here is an understanding that the God who does not have boundaries is a God who has given us boundaries so that within our boundaries we can fulfill the portion of life or the part of the kingdom that he has set aside for us. I enjoy this because I think sometimes I have to reach the whole world with the gospel. And that's not true. Now, I want to, but that's not my job. My job is to do what God has set forth for me to do. Several years ago, I was was traveling as an evangelist and I realized how, how small the world really is and how big the world really is at the same time because I was talking with somebody in another state somewhere out west and as we were having this conversation I was asking them if, if a particular speaker had ever come to speak at their church. And what shocked me was when I said the speaker's name they go, huh, I've never heard of him. And I was taken aback because I thought to myself, what? This is the most popular speaker that, that, that exists right now. And what I realized is we in the southeast have a whole different culture than the rest of the world. And the people that we think everybody knows, whether it's uh, in, in church world or, or, or sports world or whatever, you go across the country and they say, who? Like, like way over there, they wouldn't even know the names of some of the football players who go to the big A school, right? Like we talk about Alabama or we talk about Florida State. or We talk about, uh, does, you, does, um, does uh, FSU have a football team still? Okay, I was just wondering. We we talk about these players and we talk about these coaches, and we think everybody knows them. But we go across the country, and it's like, who, right? It's just like nobody here wears an Oregon shirt. Okay, maybe two people do, but but you know what I'm saying? It's just it's that way. And so what I realize is that that we have these these pockets of the country and pockets of the world where. Where one person can be known by every single household, but you go a little bit away and that person's not known at all. And that reminds me of how small I am in a really big world. So, God is not depending upon one person to make his kingdom work. Turn to the person next to you and say, You're just not that important. Aren't you glad? Because here's why, we think that we're that important and we think, oh no, if I, if I get this wrong, the whole world is gonna collapse and nobody's gonna know about Jesus. No, I love the way it was put to Esther in the Bible. Esther's uncle said, look, you were created for such a time as this, but if you don't do it, God will raise somebody else up and God will do it through them. So you don't have to find your place in the kingdom for God to be able to do his work. But if you do find your place in the kingdom, God will readily and gladly do his work through you and you will get to experience the joy of being a partner with God himself in a story that started thousands of years ago. Think of the enormity of that. When the scripture says here that he determined the times and the seasons and he put people in their places uh, da, 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 da. Here we go. From one man, he made every nation, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. Paul is not just speaking about that moment in time. He's saying, look, so from the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, he moved people throughout the earth, and he, he created times and places and purposes for them. And all of those people had a part in this giant God story that is continuing today, and when you and I are gone, it will continue even past us until Jesus comes again. How cool is that, that God would choose you with his finger? I choose you to be a part of my story in this particular way. I choose you to have an impact in my kingdom in this particular way, in this particular place. And so as each one of us find our place in the kingdom and realize the whole kingdom is not resting on our shoulders, but we do our part, what God does is he even multiplies our part in ways we never thought possible. Don't you want to be part of something bigger? Don't you want to be part of something that is longer, more eternal? That when you're dead and gone, because of what you did today, somebody a hundred years from now, if the Lord tarries, will reap the benefit of your obedience now. And I could tell you a hundred stories about this. I'm just going to tell you one, because it's the one that's most fresh on my mind. I don't know, eight months ago or so, Pastor Ken Lubriel Uh, pastoring a church in Beach Haven, Florida. Very small church, maybe five or six people when he came. I think they might be double the size now because, you know, Saga is there. And so he's kind of helped uh, uh, attract some people as well. They might be 12 or 13 people, maybe 15 on a good Sunday, right? This church didn't have insurance on the building. They didn't have hardly any money in the bank. They had a pastor who was basically a part-time, bivocational volunteer, essentially. And Hurricane Ivan destroyed a large portion of their roof. And so they have tarps on it, and it's got leaks, and it's just in disrepair. And I went and I talked to my friend. I said, hey, Ken, what are you gonna do about your roof? He said, I don't know, because I've been applying to the SBA for loans, and we don't have insurance. We don't have any money. I don't know what, but the Lord will provide somehow. So for the last eight months, he's been going through the process of loans. And I don't know if you've ever done this, but you do all the paperwork and you get everything exactly like they ask you to. And then you call and that person no longer works there. And so now there's a new person and guess what? Your paperwork isn't anywhere to be found. So you have to do it all over again. Anybody done that? And then it happens over and over and over and over and over. So somewhere in this last eight months, I was talking to another friend of mine And I suppose I told the story of this need for a roof. I don't remember the conversation, although I do remember that I talk a lot, so maybe (laughs) I'm sure I did say it. But for some reason or another, I told them about this need. Well, it would have been, I guess, two days ago, so Friday, was it, honey, was it Friday? Okay, so Friday, we were in the car and I got a phone call and it was my friend and my friend said, hey, do you remember that roof at Beach Haven you were telling me about? The Lord just won't get it off my mind. I need to know how much is it going to cost to fix it. And I said, well, I, I don't know, but let me have a minute. I'll call the pastor and I'll find out. So I hung up the phone and I called the pastor, Ken. And I said, hey, Ken, can you tell me what's the deal with the roof? What, what, what's your progress? You know, how much is it going to take to fix it? So he went through talking about how just that day, on Friday, he had got off the phone with the SBA, the Small Business uh, Administration, and had been approved to seek approval for a loan. Like just that morning, he said, I finally got through, and it looks like we're going to be able to get a loan to cover the materials for the roof. I said, so how much is it? He goes, well, you know, it's... I said, just tell me how much it is. He goes, well, it's about 20 grand. I said, Okay. I'll call you back in a minute. He goes, well, aren't you going to tell me what this is about? I said, nope. (laughs) I loved every moment of that, by the way. I just love this. I mean, I like surprises. I figure everybody else should, too. So I hung up the phone, and I called my friend back, and I said, hey, it's going to take $20,000. And my friend said, I'll write a check this week, tell him to put on the roof. So I hung up the phone, and I called Ken back, and I said, hey, Ken, you have $20,000 put your roof on. He, he gasped. He said, "My, I can't even breathe. What happened? And I said, just know that the Lord put it on somebody's heart months ago. And today they're being obedient and they want to help you put the roof on. He said, oh my goodness, I just can't even believe this. And then he went on to tell me another story. He said, you know what? He said, there was a group here last week that did great work on the inside of the building. It was a high school group, uh, a high school group of high school students from a a school up in North Alabama. They came on their spring break to help us. And at the end of the week, my wife, this is Ken speaking, my wife was burdened to share her testimony. Now that's a whole nother story. She's got a testimony of just, it's it's really unbelievable. Like I couldn't explain to you how unbelievable her testimony is full of pain full of grace all of that so she obediently tells the story to this high school group last week the high school group hears the story and they are all brokenhearted and they say you know what we need to sacrifice sacrificially for you and so they agreed that they would take the money that they were going to spend on a dolphin cruise and give that money to the church to do future repairs and so they, they, they had like $1,500 that they gave to the church. And they were obedient in doing that. They sacrificed, they gave. And, and, and I said, Ken, do you know what they did? They began the process of obedience that was fulfilled by my friend. I can tie those two, two together very, very quickly or very easily. And I said, Ken, you need to call that school and you need to make sure that they know That their small sacrifice was multiplied beyond what they could imagine. And it was at the right time and at the right place. God had a plan because his kingdom shall never end. Amen? And I tell you that story as one little story to say to you. You are a part of that story. Every one of you has a piece, a part to play in the kingdom of God. It's not a big part. It's a little bitty part. But your little bitty part is necessary for you, not for God, but for you to be fulfilled and full of joy and satisfied in your life and in the purpose for which you were created. And so a couple of things about this. When Paul preached the gospel, when he said that, he, that, that God puts people in their places, he determines the time set for them, the exact places where they should live. He did that so that men would seek him. You need to know that your part in the kingdom is first and foremost for relationship with God, not so that you can work for God. Amen? God is not only wanting to use you to make him known. That is part of it, but he wants more than anything else, relationship with you. The way you have the most satisfying relationship with God is when you are doing, or rather being, who God made you to be. And why not? If God put these things in you, he knows what makes you tick. He knows what makes you Angry, he knows what makes you frustrated. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your blind spots. He knows the things that you're afraid of, and he knows the things that you need to let go of and trust him on. And so when you are in the process of doing and being who God made you to be, what God is doing is he's refining and exposing inside of you all that needs to be refined and exposed so that at the end of your life you can say with full confidence, I have lived a good life. I have been and done all that God has purposed for me to be and to do. Because it's relationship that he's about. Turn to the person next to you, if you will, and just say, God wants relationship. Would you not agree with me that relationship is the hardest part of your faith? Would you not agree with me that it's so difficult in, in relationship because we have all of these preconceived ideas about who God is based on, based on life experience? We might, just for instance, if, if you had a difficult childhood where, where your father was not a good father, you likely have difficulty seeing God as a good father, and what God is about doing in you is refining you, reminding you that your earthly father was not who God actually is. And you, you, you have all of these other things that God brings up. And so as you, as you build in, in that relationship with God, he helps you to see him for who he really is. And through that relationship... He also sends you out. I know for my own three children, I don't want to, I don't want to, I'm not going to make them be something in life, but I do think I know how they tick because I change their diapers and I wipe their booty, <laughs> right? Anytime you're that close with somebody, you know them better than sometimes they even know themselves, Because I've had 47 years of life and I can see myself and Shannon can see herself in our own kids. And so we know some things that they haven't yet figured out. And guess what? We want them to live a life of fulfillment, but we also know that if they ignore these things in their life, that that the way that they were made, they're going to miss God's best for them. Does that make sense? But that's what God has in store for you and for me. So as we, as we look at this text, the main thing we need to get is that God made us. He made us for his own purposes, but his purposes first and foremost was relationship. Now flip over, if you will, to one more passage, first Peter, by the way, that is after the book of Hebrews. You have Hebrews and then James, and then you got first Peter. Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 2, this is the Apostle Peter speaking to the Gentile church. And he's trying to explain to them to be faithful and steadfast in the midst of persecution. But listen to what he says. He's building them up, reminding them of who they are. In 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 11, he says, Uh, excuse me, verse verse 9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you see those words? Chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation. That tells me that we were chosen. Somebody who's chosen is somebody who intentionally, or somebody who was, who who, who there was intentionality in the relationship. You are a royal priesthood. That means that you have been designed, you have been brought into the family of God in such a way that even though you don't deserve to be there and I don't either, God has opened the door to make you one of his family. You are a holy nation. That means you are sanctified. So all of those excuses you will give to God about why you don't have a part in his kingdom, well, I've failed. I've sinned. I'm broken, Um, I, I, I I have a history, I have a past. All of those excuses, you can pile up, put them in a basket, and give them back to God. Because none of those disqualify you for God's special purpose for you in your life. In fact, I would argue this. I would argue that God's special purpose for you is born out of that brokenness. Sometimes God allows us to endure things because, that's, b- because part of what he's gonna do through us is use that pain to identify with somebody else who's in the midst of it. The only difference is you have the hope of the gospel, they don't. Let me tell you, when you hear somebody's story that should not have ended well and they have come through it and say, God has been faithful, does that not encourage you? But, it, it, but wait, there's more. There's more. What we're talking about here is finding your place in the kingdom within the body of Christ and outside of the body of Christ. This is where I think we sometimes miss it. Sometimes a message like this will be all about you finding your place in the church. That needs to happen. Everybody here needs to do something. Nobody here needs to do everything. You need to do what God has gifted you to do, and you need to let somebody else do what you are not gifted to do. For instance, don't let me lead the bunny hop through the church. If you were here, then you know what I'm talking about. I screwed it up completely. We had, we had bunnies all over the place wondering what in the world they're supposed to be doing. I messed it up. That shouldn't have been me. Somebody else should have done it. it but... So everybody here has a purpose. You have a gift, a spiritual gift. But it's not just about here because the Bible says that we may declare his praises, right? So obviously the scripture is saying the church is here for encouragement and and, and strengthening and and fellowship and and, and, uh, community and, and teamwork. But we are here so that we can be out there. So your place in the kingdom is not just within the church. It's your special sauce that God has given you to be out in the world to be a reflection of God's glory. Does that make sense? Here's how that looks. You have a skill. You have a gift, or or let's not say a gift. You have a talent. You can do something. And that something that God gives you to do. He's given it to you so that outside of the church walls, you can be in relationship with people in a meaningful way so that that relationship will bear fruit of people seeing Jesus through you. For me, right now, it's the fire station. And I, I really feel like I get the better end of the deal. But, but you know, when I go to the fire station, I, I'm, I'm looking around, I'm going, man, I get to do this, right? I I get to get in this really cool red truck and I get to put on a helmet and I get to put on this terribly smelly gear and I get to open up fire hydrants and I get to carry medical stuff in and man, this is cool. I mean, I feel like a child in a candy store. So I'm having the time of my life, but guess what? I'm not there just so I can have fun. I'm there because those are moments in our community where people have been traumatized and they're in the midst of crisis And I can't tell you how many times I'm able to step aside from the the situation and talk to a family member or talk to a a, a homeowner and just try to comfort them in the name of Jesus. And I'm I'm simply trying to give you an illustration of you, you don't have to be churchy to be a part of the kingdom. Now, I will say you can't be separate from the church and be a part of the kingdom the way that God's designed you to be. I mean, I can tell you that the scripture very clearly says in Hebrews 10, do not forsake the assembling of yourself. You're not a solo artist. You're not supposed to be doing this all on your own. But what you do is you are part of the body and then we disperse. And as we disperse, we minister all over the place. And as we do that, God blesses us and uses us. And then together we can come back and we can celebrate and enlarge God's kingdom. Does that make sense? So let me, let me boil this down. What is your place in the kingdom? It may not be the same place yesterday that it is today. In fact, I think that it changes. I personally think that God changes our place in the kingdom based on our own faithfulness to him. Rule number one, don't expect to be the guy if you're not willing to be a servant. Those those who have the the ego issue, they want to be on stage in front of everybody, but they're not willing to clean tables. God's not going to put you on stage if you're not willing to clean tables. You don't want to know why? Because he doesn't share his glory with anybody. He just doesn't do that. But if you're willing to clean tables, don't be surprised that God might put you in a place that you never thought that he would put you. Not for your sake, but for his sake and for his name. So, You have a special sauce, but it's not so you can be a Big Mac. It's so that you can be a a part of the greatest, most influential family on the face of the planet, the kingdom of God. Oh, and I forgot to mention, you will be full of joy, you will be satisfied, you will be fulfilled there will be an element of fun to it. I absolutely believe God is a fun God. If he didn't, if he wasn't fun, why would he have created us with laughter as a core, basic human response? Don't you agree? Man, we're supposed to laugh. Look in the mirror. Laugh. We're also going to mourn. But the laughter makes up for the mourning, doesn't it? So God, God gave us all these things, um, and the Bible says that, that all of us will receive crowns. Here's the most beautiful part. We will all receive crowns. When we find our special sauce, God bestows us, because we're being obedient in what he made us to do, he bestows us with crowns of glory. But Revelation chapter 4 tells us what we're going to do with those crowns. We are going to kneel before Jesus and we're going to lift up our crowns and we're going to lay them at his feet and we're going to say worthy worthy is the lamb that to me is the most beautiful picture of why we do what we do we find our place we we understand our special sauce because Jesus is worthy he is worthy Mr. Boyette, Wesley, no, Denver, Wesley. (laughs) I want to tell you something. God has built you (laughs) with, with a special purpose in mind. You have, you have this. I don't even know what the word is, this, 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 this giftedness inside of you. Man, I see it. And I don't ever, I don't want you to ever think that God is not moving in you. And I don't want you to ever disregard the life that he's given you. You have this, this it factor. And I want to tell you that in front of all these people because I want you to know that God is at work in you. You okay with that? But right now you're young and so you're going to have to be patient. You're going to have to let him work in you and and build you. You're going to have to let God use your parents to to form things in you. And as God builds brings you to the to the place where you're ready to be let loose. It's gonna be really, really cool. Really, really cool. Don't you agree? And don't you ever want to forget that. Okay? Will you close your eyes and bow your head with me? Right now in this moment, will you ask God to help you, to be willing to search after why he made you? Would you ask God, God, just help me to be patient and find out why you made me. And if the enemy is speaking into your ear that you are not worthy, just go ahead and tell him, no, I'm not worthy, except that Jesus Christ has made me worthy. This morning, if you look at your life and you see a train wreck, I want to invite you to put it all in a basket and give it to God. and Say, God, whatever you want to do with this, I invite you to do it. This morning, if you've never placed your faith in the Lord Jesus and surrendered to him as the Lord of your life, I want to invite you to surrender to him now. Say, God, I know that I'm a sinner, and I know that my sin condemns me, and yet you purchased my forgiveness through your own blood. So I trust you. I trust you with my life. In Jesus' name.